Folks, <clears throat> this morning my talk is called The Roar of Hope, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, but I want to start by uh, talking about a very different image. You see, we begin a new year and a new series digging deep into the hope we really have as Christians. And in the series, we're going to be exploring the nature of Christian hope. What is it that we're really hoping for as Christians? And we're going to be seeing that actually Christian hope doesn't disappoint. It is sure and certain. It gives us endurance, renewed strength to keep going and renewed desire to share the good news of Jesus, the love of Jesus with those around. And we're going to ask how we can grow in this hope as individuals and as a church. But to start these, uh, this series, I, I want to take us to these two passages that Becky has just read. Um, and hopefully to help us to capture something of the amazing image of Jesus that they invoke. You see, this image is so different to the one we've been thinking about recently. At Christmas, we dwell on the fact that the eternal, majestic word became flesh and vulnerable, human, little baby in weakness, lying in a manger. But now from the image of Jesus as a baby, we turn to the image of Jesus as a mighty, roaring lion. And the contrast is striking, but both aspects of Jesus are equally true sometimes we need to see him in his vulnerability and other times we need to remember that he is the unrivaled unchallenged and glorious king of all and it's the second one that i feel we need to start this year by focusing on together because the the first very simple point i want to make this morning at the beginning of this strained and unusual year is that there is a king in charge around here richard would you be able to bring that up just bring up there is a king in charge around here and he is mighty the first passage from Hosea 11 is part of one of actually the most intimate portrayals of God's father heart of love I think you'll find in the whole of the Old Testament if you've not read it for a while I commend it to you this afternoon go and read Hosea 11 it's beautiful it paints a picture of just how much Father God loves Israel like a little child, how he helps them to walk like a toddler, how he leads them with the ties of love, how he lifts them to his cheek and he bends down to feet. But the more he called them, the more they rejected him. The more he showed them his love to them, the less they realized that it was he who healed them and rescued them. And so they chose to go their own way. They chose to reject the one who loves them, who made them, who rescued them and who would actually lead them into a place of peace and joy and safety. And so God declares that they are going to become slaves again, that they're going to know sorrow and destruction again because they refuse to come under his care. But then as if he simply cannot help himself, he says, but how can I give up on you? You can feel his tender heart breaking, but how could I abandon you? And he says, I will not carry out my fierce anger. God says, I will not come against you. Instead, God says something really interesting here in Hosea 11 verse 10. He says, I will roar. I will roar. They will follow the Lord. 
he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. I don't know if you've ever heard a lion roar. Thank you, Richard, by the way, for bringing that up. You're a star. Um, If you can add the words, there is a king around here. If you can put the word around here afterwards, uh, you'll see why in a moment. There is a king around here. I don't know if you've ever heard a lion roar, but I have only heard it once, just once. And actually, I've never forgotten it. It was over, I reckon, a decade ago. My family and I were visiting an animal conservation park somewhere in the UK. I can't actually remember where it was, Um, but it was uh, a long day. And, you know, it's quite tiring going around these things. So we finished off our time as it was getting close to when the park was going to close by just leaning on the fence, mesmerized by this beautiful male lion sat lying on the top of a mound, quite a large mound. And it began to uh, get dark, dusk or dimpsy, uh, as we might say around these parts. It began to get dimpsy. And uh, at this, the lion kind of detected it. And there weren't many people around. We, we were kind of like the hangers on at the end of the day. And we were watching this lion. And he stood up, he roused. And he began to roar. Well, actually, I say what he began to make a roaring noise that that. There was the most extraordinary noise and so difficult to describe. But the noise could be heard or felt inside our sort of bones as much as it could be heard by our ears. I'm going to try and make this noise. <clears throat> Forgive me. It may not be very accurate, but it was something like this. Like that. And we were like, whoa. And then he did it again. He looked around and went, like this, this beautiful, deep bellow. One more time. Like this. And we were mesmerized. And at the time, it was clear what he was doing. And yes, I've looked it up this week to make sure I was right. Uh, One conservation center in North Carolina, they call it oofing. And I could see why. It's a type of roar that can be heard up to five miles away. And it's done at sunset often to communicate one thing really clearly to all around. That there is a king in charge around here, and it's me. And this incredible signal is received in two different ways by those who hear it. Firstly, to those in his pride, wherever they are out and about, it's a reminder that I am here, I am in charge, I'm mighty, and you're under my protection and care. And here in this passage in Hosea, We see that as God roars, those that are part of his pride, but who've forgotten him, who've rejected him, who've doubted him, who've wandered away from him, who felt lost from him, are reminded again that he is their God. And as they hear this colossal bellow, deep from the ribcage of the lion, on the wind, They come to their senses and realise again that he is their king and that he is mighty above all and he is calling them. And so they come out from the places where they've been scattered. We read trembling like sparrows. It's an amazing image, isn't it? And fluttering like doves to this mighty lion. And they come once again under the care and protection of their awesome God. And we read as they come to him in trepidation, They actually receive his tender love and care. I will settle them 
in their homes, declares the Lord. But there's another way that this roar is heard, you know. The other lions who are on the prowl, on the edges of the pride's land, who would seek to hurt it and disrupt it or challenge it, this roar says, stay away. The depth and the strength of this roar says, you are not welcome. There is a king around here and he's mighty. You see, when God was forgotten, his people's enemies began to wield their influence over them. The Egyptians, the Assyrians who are mentioned in this passage, began to mock and control them, bring them to ruin like hunting lions, waiting, lying in wait to strike and take over an abandoned pride. You see, the image of the lion is used quite a bit throughout the Bible, not just here. It represents those things often that we should be alert to, dangers that lurk. If you remember, firstly, sin is described like a lion, sin. Like the, the lure and temptation of sin. In Genesis 4, sin itself is, is said to be crouching at the door. It's personified like a lion, ready to strike, desiring to have us. But also the ways and the temptations of the wicked person and wicked people and the injustice in this world are described like a lion in Psalm 10. It says this, the wicked man is described as waiting in ambush near the villages for the innocent. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies to wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. And he says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. But God does notice. And his roar is louder and stronger than all other enemies. And when they hear it, they turn and run. But you know, in the Bible, sometimes it's God's judgment towards us that is described like a lion. Fascinatingly, earlier in this book of Hosea, God has already been described as a lion. So we're in reading from chapter 11 here, but you go back to chapter 5. And God's described as a lion, but this time it says this. I will be like a lion to my people. I will tear to pieces and go away. I even I will carry away and there will be none to deliver until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. You see, it's clear this imagery of the lion that I want us to focus on this morning, that God is no pushover, friends. He's not to be sniffed at or ignored or consider tame. He is almighty. He is glorious. He is powerful and he is worthy of our utmost respect and honour. He will fight against our foes, but he will also remind us that he is in charge of this pride and not us. As C.S. Lewis put it so wonderfully in Narnia, with that great lion Aslan as a representation of Jesus. Do you remember the quote? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, our God isn't safe in the terms of dormant and weak and predictable, but he's good. And he's the king, our king. And at the beginning of a year like this, we would do well to remember that. To remember that we're not in charge. He is. That we're not 
so mighty when we stand in the presence of the one who roars. For when he roars, we tremble, but his enemies flee. In this clip we're about to watch from the Chronicles of Narnia movie, Peter, who is one day going to become the king of Narnia, is fighting a losing battle against the White Witch and her powerful armies. Because everybody, including him and her at this point, believe that Aslan is dead. Aslan the lion is no more. But then this moment. It is finished. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? That roar of Aslan and those words, it is finished. You see, sometimes it feels to us like the enemy has gotten too sure of himself, acting like there isn't a king around here. And sometimes we act as if we believe there is no king in charge around here. The struggle has got too much, perhaps. It feels like the battle is being lost. We feel like giving up hope. Perhaps some of us might feel a little bit like that this morning. But then we hear it, the mighty roar of hope. So if we're here at the beginning of 2021, feeling like there's nobody in charge around here anymore, like the world's gone crazy and sin and chaos seem to be winning, then hear again this morning the roar of Jesus, the roar of hope that reminds us there is a king in charge around here and he is mighty and he is good and his name is Jesus. Put your hope And full trust once again in him alone this morning. You know, the roar Peter heard in that clip wasn't just an encouraging roar or an impressive roar. Peter knew it was the roar of the only one who could save him. You see, without Aslan, all would have been lost. And the roar of Jesus is the roar of the only one who can save us. Without Jesus, all would be lost. And so we skip to our second passage. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter five, we're taken into the very courts of heaven itself. And it's amazing vision that John, the apostle, has whilst he's in a desolate, isolated and prisoned uh, island, an island where he is imprisoned. uh, All around him seems to signify that the enemy is one, that John himself is, well, has no control over his future, no hope, all was despair. To make matters worse, when he's in this incredible vision, there is a moment, even in heaven, that seems to be a moment of utter despair. For in the right hand of God, we read, was a scroll sealed with seven seals. And these seven seals indicate that this was the highest of importance. This was a legal scroll, a covenant, a bound promise, witnessed by many to say these things will take place. And this scroll was God's covenant commitment filled with promises about what he would bring. The goodness, the justice of his kingdom that would come. His defeat and destruction of injustice and sin and the enemy. And when a mighty angel asked in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals then and open this scroll? John realized that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept, it says. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. It was a moment of utter despair for John. He wept and wept for no one was worthy to bring about God's salvation. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. This is what it says next. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Once again, we see Jesus here as a lion, the lion of Judah. And he is the only one in all of earth and all of heaven itself who could open the scroll, which brought about the healing and forgiveness and the new relationship with God and the fullness of his perfect kingdom rule. The presence of the lion once again changes everything. The roar of hope goes up in all of heaven and he is the only one who can save us. And John looks across expecting to see this lion, this mighty lion. And incredibly, he sees instead a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And there we see it again, back to where we were at the beginning. Our Lord in his strength. And then in his vulnerability, we're back to the one lying in the manger. We're back to the one hanging on the cross, beaten, humiliated, rejected. The one stronger than any other who gave up everything and became weak for us. But because of this, because he did this, because of his death on the cross for us, he is the only one who can save us. Because the great shepherd became the sheep, because the mighty lion became the lamb, we can be saved. Because he's the only one who's taken on and defeated the power of sin and death, the principalities and powers in the spiritual realms that the Bible tells us are real and are there. It says, no, he has dealt with them. That which seeks to destroy and deceive and bring despair to us all has been dealt with because Jesus paid the price. He took on all the debt, all the mess, all our rubbish, all our guilt. And then he died for it, paid for it once and for all and rose again in triumph. Because of this, he alone can save the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. The only one who can slave, save, not me, not you, not the church, not politics, not religion, not education, not the highest human intelligence or wisdom of man, not wishful thinking, not resolutions or good intentions. There is only one king who can take your life and mine and can clean away the stains for good, who can bind up the wounds, who can heal our brokenness, who can calm our restlessness, who can breathe new life and peace into our troubled soul, who can give us a fresh start and total forgiveness. There is only one who truly calls out to each and every one of us, even again this morning, and offers us eternal safety. Jesus alone can rescue and save. And so, as we move towards our time of commitment, I want you to hear again his roar this morning. For he roars at the beginning of this new year. He roars over 2021. And his roar says there is a king around here. There is a king in charge around here. And he is mighty. And he is good. And he calls you and I this morning come back trembling under my care. And you will find a home. For he is the only one who can save. So this morning, we're going to take some time to commit ourselves to the king once again. But as we do so, let's begin by taking a moment to humble ourselves. 
to get in the right perspective and to realise again that Jesus is Lord and King. If you're looking at 2021 with fear and worry, then hear his roar. If you're struggling with anxiety, struggling to cope, then hear his roar. If you're concerned about work or school or college or university, then hear his roar. If you are feeling self-reliant or self-confident or bored of Jesus or think somehow you're in intellectually above it all then hear his roar if this whole covid situation has stolen something of your joy from you or your trust or your faith or your hope then hear his roar this morning his roar over you your present and your future over your family over your walk with him, over your witness, over your journey and all that lies ahead, over the decisions and the movements and all that is in store this year. Hear his roar. Realize that you are under the king's care. You are his and he is your Lord. And let his roar over us, let us hear his roar over us as a church this morning, as we wonder what lies ahead together, when we might be back together. What is wise? What church looks like? When we might sing and meet together once more, hug each other and embrace each other once more. Let us hear his roar. And as we look to appoint a new associate pastor, then let us hear his roar. And as we consider our mission to our local communities, to our workplaces, our families, let us hear his roar. And let us hear his roar over our hurting nation this morning, over our hurting world, our humbled and troubled world and nation in the middle of this ongoing pandemic with suffering and loss for so many let us hear his roar and let each one of us humbly commit ourselves fully to him again this morning and hear his roar the roar of hope